brilliant. Let me um, add my welcome to those uh, that you've received already. It is great to be with you thinking about um, these wonderful prayers. Uh, just one very quick thing about the notice about the newcomers' tea. If you have children, please do um, bring them along. Okay, so um, if they're, they're old enough, they're happy just to kind of sit in with us, that's fine. For the younger ones, we will just have some simple toys and stuff in the hall over there. So um, please don't let that stop you from coming um, as well. Fantastic. Let's pray again together. Father, we pray that you, the glorious God, may give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we would know you better and that you please enlighten our hearts so that we would know the hope that we've been called to and your wonderful power that is at work for your people. Please work that in us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Reality is a thing of the past. Does anyone know what film that is the tagline of? Reality is a thing of the past. Benjamin's seen my slides, but you probably knew anyway. <laughs> the Matrix, a uh, very popular film, as you see, uh, has made it back to our screens, hasn't it? How about this one? The dream is real. Oh, I heard a whisper. Inception, Inception, very good. The dream is real. Films like The Matrix, Inception, and I'm sure there are uh, many others, they've been huge hits. And they grapple with the idea of reality. In those films, what the characters see often isn't real, whether it's a constructed universe or a dream or whatever it might be. But it isn't just films. In our world today, things aren't often as they appear. Now, don't worry, I'm not about to launch into a whole load of conspiracy theories. What I mean is that there can be, and there often is, a mismatch between spiritual realities and how things appear, how we see them. And it's this mismatch that Paul prays about in uh, this letter, in this prayer for the Ephesian church. As, Paul, uh, sorry, as Will has already explained, we're, we're doing this little series, Big Bible Prayers, uh, our aim, as Will said, is twofold. We want to see what Paul was saying and praying in that context. We're also wanting to see how that, his prayers can help shape and change our prayer lives too. And of course, the big Bible prayers, um, we, we looked at uh, the Lord's Prayer, the, the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. We looked at that at the beginning of this year. And, and now we are going to be concentrating on Paul's prayers. There are many other places we could turn. But just to kind of give us a bit of shape, we're going to focus on that. And um, I've got to bring it, but let me do a little book recommendation called, it's probably the worst title of any book I've read, um, but it's called A Call to Spiritual Reformation. Okay. Um, they, I think they've actually relaunched it called like Praying with Paul. That's much better. Um, Don Carson, I'd highly recommend it. Sorry, I forgot to bring my copy this morning. Um, uh, I've been very much helped by this in, in my own prayer life over the years, and so I'm sure I'll refer to him either consciously or subconsciously. I'd recommend it for you as well. But my prayer is that this, my prayer is that this series for us, Lionsdown Church, big Bible prayers become our normal everyday prayers. That's what my prayer for us as a church, is that these big Bible prayers become normal everyday prayers for us. 
this prayer that we're looking at today is, is a prayer that um, Paul prayed again and again for the church in Ephesus. Here you go, sorry, a little holiday snap for you. This is Ephesus um, today. We went there a number of years ago now. It was a diverse and multicultural city. And as such, it was full of different ideas of gods. And it was indeed home to one of the ancient seven wonders of the world. Uh, this is kind of, you can't even really see it now, can you? Um, but it's in there, the Temple of Artemis, uh, a great temple to pagan gods. And Paul himself, he had stayed there for three years, uh, ministering to the church there. And now he writes to them, and he is wanting uh, to explain to them spiritual realities and the consequences of those great spiritual realities. But in our verse this, this morning, he, he's telling the church what he prays for them. And the main focus of what Paul prays for them is what they would know. Paul is praying that they would know things. So if Paul were here to stand up and, and give us a little 30-second intro into this morning's sermon... He would say, Christians who are at Lionsdown Church this morning or watching at home, I want you to know what you have as Christians. Paul says, I want you to know what you already have as Christians. And if you're not yet a Christian, well, I want you to know what you're missing out on. I want you to know the great blessings that it is to be one of Jesus' people. Because you see, Paul wants us to know the reality of our situations, not just things as they seem to be. And Paul begins in verse 15 and 16 by, by again, showing that he wants, uh, he's praying that they would know things. In verse 15 and 16, he, he says, look, I've heard of your faith in Jesus. I've heard of your love for each other, for all the people. And since then, he's not stopped giving thanks for them. And he keeps on praying for them. I don't know if you noticed that, that the, repetition of, the repetition of the prayers. Um, at the beginning of verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And he says it again later on too, that he keeps on praying for them. And in verse 17 to 19, he tells them what he is praying for them. And again, the prayer is that he would, they would know things. Let me look again at verse, uh, verse um, 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you have been called and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Paul prays that they would know God better and that they would know his blessings more. Right, if you take away nothing else from this, Paul is praying that they would know God better and that they would know his blessings more. Do please note that what he is asking, he is not asking for more blessing. Okay, our world is a world of more, isn't it? We want more money, more clothes, more friends, more likes, more games, more recognition, more blessings. But Paul doesn't say we need more blessings. He, see, he says we need to know our blessings more. You see, the first half of the chapter, we haven't looked at it. They're wonderful words. Please do read them if you're not familiar with it. In chapter 1, particularly verses 3 to 14. 
that they recount so many blessings. Let me just look at, read verse 3. And blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every, all, total, complete. Those blessings are already ours if we are Christians. And then verse 4 to 14, elected, adopted, redeemed, loved, forgiven, included, secured. Wonderful blessings that there are of being God's people. And Paul says, look, we don't need more blessings. We've got them all. But we need to know them more. Think of it a little bit like kind of stargazing. I've, I put a little picture here just to remind us, because we live in London, what, what stars are. You can't really see them. But you know, we can't see very many stars here where we live, do we? But you know, if you head out to the countryside on a clear night and you look up, wow, you see the stars. And just with a casual glance, you look up and you, and you see some. But then when you focus, when you actually start properly looking, you see more as another one and another one and another one and another one. And God's blessings are a little bit like that. We know they're there, but when we look at Ephesians 1 and elsewhere, oh yeah, there's another one, and there's another one, and there's another one. But like the stars, we can sometimes forget they're there. Sometimes it might look like there aren't many stars up there, aren't many blessings. But we know that they are, and when we look, we can see them. And so Paul prays at the Ephesian church and that we would know the blessings that we have. So let's look at these blessings together. And let's look at the things that Paul is uh, wanting us to know. Firstly, Paul is praying to know him. That is, know God. To know him better. So verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That you would know him more. I want you to just follow Paul's thinking, just see how this kind of sentence uh, works. He is asking that the glorious Father, the God of the Lord Jesus, would give the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. That is the Spirit who brings wisdom and, and revelation, understanding. And the purpose of the spirit of wisdom and revelation is so that we grow in the knowledge of him. We would know him better. Uh, a point that Carson does make in his, his book is that Paul often, the, the titles that Paul uses for God in his prayers are often linked to what he is praying for. And you see that the two descriptions of God that Paul uses here, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory. See those, those two things. And do you see how both of those titles are relational titles, as it were? He is the God of our Lord Jesus. He is the Father of glory, the, far, the glorious Father. We saw last week, didn't we, in uh, looking at the accounts of, of the resurrection, the wonderful change that happened after the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, how his disciples became brothers, they became his family. And that's the wonderful truth for Christians, all Christians too, that we now relate to the God of the whole universe, the maker of all things, as Father. We've been brought into this relationship like Jesus. 
as Christians, we know God. And that is what Christianity is all about, a relationship. A living, breathing, intimate relationship. How far that is from so many people's misconceptions. You know, so many think Christianity is about a list of rules. And that's, at best, it's a kind of self, a method of self-improvement. Or at worst, it's a happiness-killing burden. Neither of those things are true. Christianity at its heart is a relationship. Now, if that is a surprise to you this morning, please do come and speak to me afterwards. We'd love to explain ways that we could share with you further what the foundations of Christianity and show you what it means and how we can have this relationship. But that is what it is all about. And like any relationship between two people, we can grow in it. I know my wife, Amy, better than I did when we first met 12 years ago. I know her better than when we got married eight and a half years ago. I know her better than when that I did a year ago. And just like any of these human relationships, we can know God better. And Paul prays at the Ephesians' words. And Paul wants that for the Ephesians and for, for us more than anything else. I ask you the question, do you feel like you know God well enough? When I ask it so kind of bluntly as that, well, when we think about it, of course not. Of course we want to know God better. And of course there is nothing better. But I think sometimes the fact that perhaps we don't pray for that kind of thing reveals the fact that actually, perhaps deep down, that desire isn't as great or as strong as it should be. And again, if I were to ask you, do you know God better now than you did, say, a year ago? I wonder what you'd say. If no, well, I wonder, at least in part, if the reason for that is because you've not been praying for it. Why not pray this prayer for yourself, your family, whoever you pray for regularly? Why not pray this prayer every day this week? Open it up and pray like Paul. But do you remember that the path to knowing God better, uh, it comes through the, the Spirit giving wisdom and revelation. And, and this doesn't just happen as we sit on our chairs and minds blank staring out the window. The, the Spirit works through means. So invest your time in this process of knowing God more. Spend time reading the Bible and think about meditating on it, thinking about it. That is how the spirit of wisdom and revelation works. Respond in concentrated prayer. Read a good Christian book. Here's another, another one. Knowing God. 16 chapters, 16 aspects of God's character. Hard to do much better than this. Do, uh, do, you, do you grab a hold of that one? This isn't mine, so you can't borrow this one. But I do have one that you could borrow. Look at the, um, see who God is. Know him better. And then look to, to God in all the little things of life. You know, looking to see his fatherly care, his gracious provision, his protection. If we open our eyes, actually we see our Father's hands everywhere. But the Spirit reveals that, uh, the Spirit reveals, but we must have our kind of faculties, spiritual faculties attuned to, to hear as well. But by praying for this, Paul is showing, look, if we are going to know God better, it is going to happen uh, through prayer, through the Spirit's work. 
So the first thing Paul prays for the Ephesians is he wants us to know him. And then he moves on to a couple more blessings that we would know. But again, just before we do that, I want us to see that there is a means to these blessings. So have a look at verse 18. Having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that you may know... You see, do you see how this kind of fits together? It's the flip side of, of verse 17. In verse 17, it was praying that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would, would be at work. And then here, it's kind of our, our internal, the, the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. And so as these things to, come together, that is when we can grasp these spiritual realities. But first off, we're praying to know him. Now we're praying to know hope. So verse 18 again, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened that you may know, the, know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Another, another film reference today, but uh, Shawshank Redemption, uh, based around two characters in their life in prison. And the theme of hope runs through this film. There are two main characters, and Red, one of them, one of the main characters, has a, a, a distinctly bleak outlook on life. And there's a moment in the film that goes like this. Red says, hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. Andy, the other one, says, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things. Red's, I hope that I can make it across the border. I hope to see my friend and shake his hand. I hope the Pacific is blue as it has been in my dreams. I hope. Whatever you make of their outlooks on life, they do highlight the the worldly understanding of hope. That hope is something that lies out there in the distance, out of reach, with only the slimmest possibility of being obtained. And so depending on your outlook on life, it is either a good thing that keeps us going or a thing that drives us crazy. But the hope that Paul speaks of here and the hope of the Bible is not a fanciful pipe dream. Here it's a certain reality of a sure future. Something that Christians look forward to with absolute confidence as a result of God's calling. You see, when somebody becomes a Christian, they are called by him to themselves. And once they have been called to him by themselves, they are called to this future hope of heaven and the new creation, of being with Jesus and being with our Father for all eternity in a world that is completely unaffected by the fall, this perfect creation. And Paul prays that they would know this hope. And then see how Paul describes this hope a bit further in the second half of verse 18. Um, the hope to which you have been, to, the hope to which he has called you what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? That's a fairly typical, dense Paul sentence, isn't it, if ever there was one? But the key idea there is inheritance. Uh, it's a word that we use, we understand today, isn't it? It's, inheritance is what someone receives, usually when a, a family member dies. It might be money, it might be property, it might be a valuable item, it might be something sentimental. And we might expect Paul to be speaking of our inheritance, the hope that we talk about, what are we going to receive when we die? 
And indeed, back in chapter 1, verse 14, he does speak of our inheritance, what we are, as it were, going to get. But the inheritance here isn't so much the hope of what we inherit, but the fact that we are God's inheritance. It's not so much what we get, it's what, as it were, God gets. We see this a number of times in the Old Testament. Uh, Just for one example, uh, Psalm 33 verse 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage, his inheritance. Because people throughout the Bible are described as the inheritance that God gets. And so Paul wants us not so much to know what is ours, but to know that we are his Christians are his already, but they will be completely become his inheritance, his people for all eternity in the future. Now, when it comes to, to books or films, I hate knowing the endings. I, I know, never want to know. That ruins the story for me. I, I want to see it as it goes through. But when it comes to our lives, it is so important to know the end. Because that helps shape and change the, the way we view things now. So, for example, do you ever doubt God's concern for you? Do you ever think you're insignificant to God? Do you ever think that God's just waiting for an opportunity to zap you? Not sure if you're going to get from your calling to your hope. Well, doesn't this blow those concerns out of the water? He cares for you because you are part of his inheritance, that inheritance that he will surely receive. And you see what security that brings for us now. When we fail to think of the future, we can get very short-sighted, get consumed by the now, and rarely, if ever, think of forever. Today's problems, pains, and concerns seem almost insurmountable. And therefore, the immediate pleasures in this world look very appealing. That's why it's so important that we know our hope. Because it puts those things into perspective. And it is only as we pray that we will become more interested with living uh, with things of eternity in mind that we'll be able to do those things. Pray for hope, that we would know his hope. He wants us to know him, know hope, our hope, and finally know his power. See, how is it that Christians, again, can make it from their calling to this hope? It is only by his power, but his power is sufficient. Let me read again just from the beginning of verse 18. But having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. Did you notice how God's power is emphasized there? He doesn't just say, look, his power for us who believe. It's his incomparably great power immeasurable, surpassing greatness. It's the word where we get kind of the word mega from. This this, um, immeasurably great, the surpassing mega power. 
Because power isn't like one of those, you know, wind-up torches that you wind up and it's bright for about three seconds and then just slowly fades. This is incomparably great. And then you see at the, at the end of verse 19, it's described as mighty strength. His power is vast and limitless. And this power is put to use most incredibly for us who believe. If he has called you in the past, you have this great future hope. And then right now, until we get to this hope, we have God's immeasurably great power, his mighty strength for you. You're not convinced by Paul's use of superlatives? Well, Paul gives us some examples of this power. And of course, for the omnipotent one, there are no degrees of difficulty. Like for, for us, right, so if I were to move three chairs, I'd be okay. If I were to move eight chairs, I'd be struggling. If I were to move 20 chairs, it'd probably be impossible. But we have degrees of difficulty, not so for, for God. So it's not as okay as, like, oh, yeah, what was the hardest thing God ever did? But, but Paul is searching for these most glorious examples of God's power at work. And let's see them, the three that he uses. And what is the immeasurably uh, greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, is number one, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right, is to, seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but the age to come. Three, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. First off, he raised Jesus from the dead. What we were looking at uh, wonderfully last week, death is mankind's greatest enemy, our biggest problem. There is surely no tyrant, no stronger tyrant than death. And yet God raised Jesus from death. No problem for God's power. Secondly, he placed Jesus above all things. And again, what incredible list. All powers, all authorities, both earthly and spiritual, both now and forever. He has ascended Jesus to that place of prominence. And his power achieved more. Um, so, uh, reading from oh, sorry, reading, but verse 22 again. Uh, and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, to which, his body, the full, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the third thing there, the Father put all things under Jesus' feet. To be under someone's feet is, to be a, is a place of defeat and sub, um, subjugation. This is, you can see this in the, the British Museum. It's um, actually a, a, a thing of an Assyrian king there. You quite see it, but... The, the character there has got his foot on the neck of a, a king who has been defeated. And that's the kind of picture that we see of Jesus here in total, complete control. Position of total power. He is the head over everything. As has often been said, that there is not an inch of this world of which Jesus does not claim with the words, this is mine. But did you spot why God has put Jesus in this position? Well, again, remarkably, it's 
the head over all things, to the church. He's already said in verse 19 this incredibly, incomparably great power is for us who believe. You see, this power is set to work for God's people. God's power that has raised Jesus from the dead and his power that has put all things under him. God's power that has put Jesus, um, has put everything so that Jesus is over it. And that power is used for the good of the church. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I feel like I live in an almost kind of constant state of feeling my weakness. Physical weakness, weakness in my fight against sin, weak in my witness, weak in my service, weak to fulfill my responsibilities. And even when I don't feel it, I am. Maybe you do too. But those weaknesses are opportunities to experience God's power that is at work in his people. What does that mean? Well, we're going to see a bit more next week as we look at the second prayer in, in chapter 3 of Ephesians. But know that God's imparably great work, work, imparably great power is at work in his, in his people. See, Paul wants us... Actually, sorry, could you go back to the previous slide? Uh, Paul wants us to know him, to know his hope, to know our hope, to know his power. He wants us to know God better. He wants us to know the wonderful future that awaits us. He wants us to know the incredibly great power that is at work for his people. Why? Why does he pray these things? Well, because so often we don't see them. We don't appreciate what we have. And so it's so important that we're praying for these things, that we'd have this right perspective on life. Because as we pray... Then we will, uh, that as we pray, that, that when we will see these things uh, more accurately as they are. I think our prayer lives, just so we close, I think our prayer lives reveal a lot about our priorities. Because we pray about the things that we care about. And I guess our question and our challenge for myself and for, for us is well, what does the things that you pray for reveal about what you care about? Don Carson, again, he wonders if it isn't true to say that perhaps as much as 80 or 90% of our requests to God concern good health, recovery from illness, safety on the road, a good job, success in exams, emotional needs of our children, success in mortgage applications, and more of the same. And I reckon he could well be true. But it is worth noticing that Paul's top priority for the Ephesian church was their spiritual good, for their spiritual growth, for a deepening of their knowledge of God. And so that's what he prayed for them. And again, maybe this is a little reminder for us that we need to be praying for these things too. Yes, our heavenly, loving Heavenly Father does want to hear our anxieties and our concerns and our needs, but he definitely wants us to be praying these kind of things. Praying that we'd be growing in this knowledge of him, praying that we'd be knowing our blessings more. And it's these kind of prayers we can be really confident that he loves to answer. Let's pray that again for us now. Father God, we thank you so much for these wonderful uh, little, little truths, that, well, huge truths, these huge ideas that we've been seeing and thinking about this morning. 
And Father, as they are so great, yet pray that we would grasp them uh, more. Pray that we'd be growing in our relationship with you, that we'd be knowing you more, and that would be true each and every day. Please work that in us by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.